0: Welcome to the Podglomerate. Hello and welcome to Plus 7 Intelligence, the show about how games impact people. My name is Chess. I am so excited to be back from break and getting into our series on games and social change. This series is seven episodes on how games are changing the fabric of our society, how they're interacting with large-scale problems in the world. We're talking about politics, war, equality, and more. We'll see how the power of games to stir us emotionally and personally can ripple out to serious changes in the world. This episode, I'm speaking with Dr. James Pita, who uses his passion for games to combat terrorism and protect endangered species. All right. I am here with Dr. James Pita. He is the co-founder and chief innovation officer for Avata Intelligence. Thank you so much for coming on the show, James.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Tell me about your early relationship with games.
1: So the first time I ever came across games was when I was very young and the Atari had just come out. Uh, We had some neighbors who actually were really on the forefront of computers in general. So their, their dad uh, had started a computer shop. And so we would go over there and, and, and they introduced us to the Atari. They introduced us to computers. And, and so I, I really started to get immersed in this world. And, and it was just amazing to me, you know, this interaction you could have. Obviously, you had seen television shows and, and watched things on TV. But this was a world that, that you didn't just see but that you actually got to get involved with. And so for me, it was just uh, somewhat of an escape, a a way to kind of explore different spaces and different realities and and kind of see what else was out there.
0: That's great. What did your family think of uh, your love for video games?
1: So I think it was strange to them, foreign, if you will. Obviously, they grew up in a a different time. And and I think that, you know, seeing the level of engagement and, and seeing what was happening... I think it can be really scary for parents to, to see their kids so deeply engaged in something that they've never had any experience with. And, and so they don't really know if it's good, if it's bad, if it's helpful, if it's detrimental. And, you know, I think that that can really be troublesome. But at least with my parents, I think at a very early age, they just recognized how much it meant to me and, and understood that, you know, that perhaps it'd be more detrimental to take this thing that seems so foundational to my life away from me or, or to limit access to it. So I think on their part, they kind of leaned in and said, well, we don't know where this might go, but we're willing to take the leap and, and explore, you know, what the potential is and try to get involved and, and, you know, try to promote at least the aspects that we see as beneficial and, and try to you know help me understand um, what the benefits are and what can happen. And so I think they saw computers and technology were on the rise and perhaps thought it was a a way for me to get an edge on the future and and kind of, you know, understand that world more than my peers by gaining early access to it. Well,
0: I don't want to give any spoilers, but it sounds like it worked.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It it turned into a lifelong passion. And and I think that, you know, I was one of those kids at an early age, kids talk about, oh, I want to be a fireman or I want to be a police officer. And I knew uh, probably from the time I was about seven that I wanted to work with computers. Uh, I think that you know there was just some amazing things happening, and and I like to not only play the kind of graphical based games, but before uh, MMORPGs were a thing, uh, there were things called muds, uh, multi-user dungeons. And they were completely text based, and uh, it was essentially the the original multiplayer game. And I would spend hours. Uh, in these months, talking to people, um, playing, exploring, and, and it was just this world where, you know, you had to combine your imagination uh, with kind of some, some game functionality and
0: principles. Did you find that games like that were were influential on you and, and how you saw the world?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, especially in any environment where you're interacting with other players, there there's this collision of kind of the real world and people and feelings and emotions and exploring, you know, how how other people think and, and how they perceive things from all walks of life, right? So you're in this, this multi-user dungeon with, with adults and with other kids and, you know, with people from all over the world and and you start to gain an understanding of what what else is out there broadly, but then there's this kind of fantasy environment where people are playing this character or, you know, they're they're playing this particular persona. And so there's this blend of Maybe who you see yourself as and who you really are. And so, you know, you really start to understand people on different levels. And I think that it's just this fascinating space where even when you're playing alone, you can really explore uh, the idea of of yourself and who you want to be and who you envision yourself as. And so as you're creating characters and as you're, you know, uh, leveling up traits and things you know it's like the different types of things you focus on some people like to play the warrior and some people like to play the mage and some people like to play the thief and it's this exploration of these different aspects of ourselves and and understanding kind of who we see ourselves as
0: yeah that's really cool that echoes i don't know if the episode will have come out by this point but uh, i did an interview with jim g who he's an educator and it's all about Um, education reform and he's really interested in video games and he gives the example of like uh, going through a dungeon where you have different types of characters and everybody's working together and everyone has to understand understand their role but also understand their role in context of the whole team and how that's a really great simulation for basically real world real world work where you have to work with other people you have to understand different perspectives in order to, in order to bring a project together.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think that you know it teaches you a lot about just how to deal with different types of personalities and how to engage with people and on a level that's productive.
0: How did games get into your education path?
1: Yeah, so originally, you know, I always thought I would actually be a game developer uh, growing up, and. And originally, I went to university to learn how to code, um, in order to do that. But as I got going, and I think that some of my professors saw my, you know, larger potential and stuff, they started pushing me in different directions and and wanted me to explore different things. And so I had a couple of advisors who who really thought that I should get a PhD, even if I really wanted to explore the world of gaming, they thought it would be, you know, more beneficial to explore kind of the future of gaming and. And looking at concepts of artificial intelligence and how we can, you know, apply these to to kind of uh, future looking games. And as you mentioned, games in education and, and all the different ways games are starting to influence their life. And so in doing so, I, I got very lucky and I came across a professor um, at the University of Southern California who was exploring how games can influence security decisions. And, uh, you know, I, I had written my essays about my love for games and applying artificial intelligence and, you know, seeing where, where it might take us in the future. And so he reached out to me and said, you know, I read your essay and I have this idea. It had never been done before. It was, he was just pioneering uh, the, the concepts at that time. And he said, I have this concept where we might be able to apply games to real life security scenarios. Would you be interested in exploring? And, and I thought this is an amazing opportunity to both, you know, explore the space of games and their influence on the world and and really do something that might have some profound impact on the world we live in. Um, And so, you know, I I couldn't pass up the opportunity to see, you know, what what might come from that.
0: That's really cool. So how did you start? What project did you first try to see how games and artificial intelligence can be used for a security application?
1: When I first joined as a PhD student uh, at USC, the very first project I ever worked on was actually for the Los Angeles International Airport. And the context was that they have these canine patrols that they go around the airport. Um, so they're both bomb and drug-sniffing canines, and, and they have these checkpoints that they set up um, to actually check inbound cars. And so, you know, in these cars, they're looking for people trying to smuggle in drugs, trying to smuggle in weapons. Um, or per, perhaps, you know, uh, even a uh, bomber, um, heaven forbid. And so they have these checkpoints that they they try to kind of randomize and, and schedule in different ways um, to try to keep people on their feet. But they realize that you know games might be able to help here because um, you know this is a kind of a constrained environment in the sense that there are you know so many roads that lead into the airport and there are so many terminals for these canines to to explore over. And so if you think about any kind of gaming simulation, right? You have these characters, uh, within the game. And so if you think of kind of the Starcraft of the world or the Warcraft of the world, uh, you send these characters across the map to explore and, and you're looking for, you know, resources, you're looking for enemies. And, and so it's the same principle where you have this confined environment and you have to send these units, uh, through this environment in some way that maximizes your chances of catching um, you know, kind of innovator, if you will, somebody who's trying to not be seen. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we set up the context of the game in the sense that there are these rules that have to be followed, right? People can only work so many hours. They can only go, you know, they can't teleport from location A to location B. Um, so there are time constraints and, and other things like this. And, and once you set up the rules of the game, you can really start to think about, well, you know, what is the best, uh, way to, to move your units or your troops around this environment um, to kind of maximize their effectiveness, given the rules of the game. Well,
0: oh, That's really cool. You know, cause there are entire games and even genres of games that are all about optimization, resource optimization. You know, I've talked about on the show before that these problems that the games ask you to solve, they're very complex. They have a lot of moving parts. And if it didn't have, you know, the theming of, whatever, Total War, Warhammer, or whatever, it would be it would be a very difficult task and very similar to real life work, real life logistics. And it sounds like you're you're you found that same connection.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, the fascinating part or kind of the, the research element of it all is um ultimately we're all in some simulation, right? If you think about the world as a simulation or a game and the rules of our game are as loose as they can possibly be in. We're really only constrained by the laws of physics, um, you know, and, and, and time and resources, right? And so, you know, you exchange your time for resources and, and other things like this, and you can do different actions. But, you know, that's a really hard game to represent, um, you know, in, in, in a video game simulation. But if you constrain the rules enough, right? If you take this real world environment like an airport and, and you really distill it down into its core key components, um, you know, you can start to to create a game that can be reasoned over or played uh, in a fashion that is meaningful, uh, while neglecting a lot of these kind of uh, you know looser constraints or, or rules that that we have to abide by in in the real world.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, you know, I think of all the ways that people say, "Oh, well, real life isn't like a video game," but it seems like from your perspective that. Really, all you have to do is find a space that's a little bit more constrained, where you have more awareness of your inputs and outputs in in a certain environment, and then in that case, real life can be similar to a game.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's just it, right? You have to take kind of subsets of the real world and uh, and those those can be gamified, if you will, right?
0: So after you worked on that project at at that airport, you know, how did you feel after that project? Did you feel like you were really on to something? And uh, and where did you go from there?
1: Yeah, the results were phenomenal. So we actually did a study. They actually looked at the statistics um, pre and post implementation of this, you know, kind of game of security, if you will, at Los uh, Los Angeles International Airport. And they saw an increase of uh, over threefold in the number of captures they were Obtaining using our system, so so you know we were playing this game where the objective was really just to catch as many criminals as we could, or kind of people breaking the rules or the laws, and mm-hmm. you know, again by reasoning over kind of what the rules of the game are, what people what people could do, and what their motivations could be, you know, we were able to to improve their capture rate significantly, and so after that result, we were pretty motivated, and we started exploring you know additional um, use cases and, and additional security environments, and we ended up working with a number of government organizations, um, with local law enforcement agencies. Um, we worked with the U.S. Coast Guard, the Transportation Security Administration. Uh, we worked with the Federal Air Marshal Service. Um, we worked with uh, Los Angeles Metro, uh, working for ferry vaders and, and a number of other different uh, kind of tasks, um, different security-related tasks. So, some of it involved, you know, kind of anti-terrorism um, security and, and other stuff was really, like I said, Los Angeles Metro just looking for ferry vaders or people, you know, trying to, to skip out on the check, if you will. And in all cases, you know, every study we ran, every, to the extent we could, controlled environment we set up. And it's really hard to control real life security, right? So those are mm-hmm. really tough controlled experiments to run. But whenever we were able to run a, a semi-controlled experiment... Our results were always phenomenal, which is why I say that some aspects of life I do think are a game. And just like any mm-hmm. game, you know, the the smarter you get, and the, and the better you understand the rules, and and the you know the better you plan your strategy, the more effective you're going to be.
0: Wow. So the, if you could, I mean, some of those projects sound really cool. Like you said, you had one related to anti-terrorism. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there were a couple on that front, but. For example, uh, the project we did for the U.S. Coast Guard, the goal here was to help them plan their patrols around the ports of authority, um, you know, to help protect um, incoming, say, cruise boats and passengers, um, to help try to, you know, prevent uh, kind of... um, import of illegal goods, right? So a lot of people use the ports to try to transport illegal goods and, and other materials. And so, um, but their main priority, while they were looking for these illegal good transportations and, and other criminal activity in general, you know, their main kind of priority is they don't want someone to take down certain aspects of the port, right? Because that's where a lot of our goods and commerce come from and a and disruption to our ports could actually lead to a significant economic Disruption to our country, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, you know, from from their side, they're thinking about how do we schedule these patrols over a you know 24/7 period, right? So they can't be patrolling these ports always. Um, there are resource limitations, and so you know, but they want to try to make it as difficult as possible to kind of uh, execute a successful, a large-scale attack on a port. And the way they measure that is by hiring these red teams which are essentially people like ex-Navy SEALs uh, or other military personnel who come in and actually try to fabricate an attack. So they'll come in and, and plan an, an actual attack on the port and, and see if they could succeed um, given the way the U.S. Coast Guard is performing their operations. Instead. So, you know, they had their their kind of standard business operation prior to our system, and, and they, you know, executed some tests against their own Security measures, and then they put in our system, um, which again was thinking about the whole context of controlling as a game, where the game is, you know, I have my troops and units that I can send out, and I have these enemies who are trying to invade, and you know, and they have certain intentions and motivations, and so how can I, how can I place my units so that I minimize the the in, uh, their objectives or goals, right? So that's really the game: is minimize their goals. Um, whatever they may do, and after installing our system, they found. Uh, and you know, we're not privy to the, the end results, but ultimately they found that our system improved security.
0: This episode of Plus Seven Intelligence is brought to you by Mr. Koya. Every day for work, I wear a short-sleeved button-up shirt, and I confess that I've put people to sleep with my milk toast wardrobe. Thank goodness I found out about Mr. Koya because they are laser-focused on creating awesome versions of that exact type of shirt if you like something loud and bold you can get it there or if you like me and want to be more low-key they have some sharp subtle options as well plus they are committed to sustainable practices that are great for their employees their customers and the environment they are always looking for ways to take it to the next level as they put it on their website it's kind of like super mario you don't get to yoshi's island without making it through iggy's castle Go to www.mrcoya.com slash plus7intelligence, and at checkout, enter the code PLUS7 to receive 20% off your order and free shipping when you buy two or more shirts. PLUS7 Intelligence is also brought to you by Quality Control. Quality Control is a podcast from our friends at Polygon, where they discuss the latest video games, movies, shows, and comics show is co-hosted by senior reporter Charlie Hall and Guide's editor Dave Tack, along with special guests and critics. But they aren't content to just offer hot takes. They go in-depth and bring in additional context and background that you don't get from other shows. You'll get a chance to hear about the latest games with the folks who get to play them first and get a quality rundown. Recent episode topics include The Unlikely Resurrection of No Man's Sky, how to work through your backlog of tabletop RPGs, and the long road that led to the release of We Happy Few. Quality Control is available for free every week on Apple Podcasts, as well as Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you're listening. Check it out. To help me kind of envision how how this all comes together, I understand it's some combination of game theory and artificial intelligence that comes together are you setting up a simulation and then a human plays with it and then tries to find an optimal solution? Or are you having artificial intelligence be the one to sort of play the game and then and then arrive at a, a solution or an improvement?
1: Yeah, so it turns out that at least in the context of the way we set these games up, which is using a, a game theoretic approach. So really the simple definition of game theory is it's just an examination of the results of a combination of interactions between some players. Um, right. So there's some defined set of, of actions a player can take. And, and similarly, the, that the other players can take. And depending on the action taken by each player, there's some result. So rock, paper, scissors is a really easy one in the sense mm-hmm. that player one can play rock, paper, scissors. Player two can play rock, paper, scissors. And depending. On which combination each player takes, there's a result. So if we both play rock, the, the result is net zero. If I play rock and the opponent plays scissors, the result is I get a positive one and the, the other player gets a negative one. Mm-hmm. So in, in its simplest form, you know, there, there is a solution to that game. And that solution is to play random. So that the concept here, and especially in security environments, the concept is that the opponent can actually observe your actions in advance. So mm-hmm. they, they can jump into the game whenever they so choose, right? That's one of the kind of detriments of security or, um, you know, security is a game where you're at a disadvantage if you're the, the, the side trying to secure an environment because you can mm-hmm. be observed and, and they can learn what you're doing. So in rock, paper, scissors, it would be the equivalent of if you got to watch me keep throwing rock and paper and scissors over and over and over and make a decision, okay, like now I'm going to play against you on this round. So, if my strategy was always throw rock, after four or five times, you'd probably jump in and throw paper. Mm-hmm. If I varied it between rock and scissors, 50-50, so you saw that you know, I'd flip a coin, if it was heads, I'd play rock, if it was tails, I'd play scissors, then you know, if you came in, you would probably pay rock because half the time you would tie and the other half the time you'd win, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the winning strategy for me as a player is to actually uh, you know, randomly choose between the three. And and so you never know what's coming next because I'm I have a, a truly random process and every time I just randomly choose between the two. And so similarly in a security environment, you know, the the objective is to find that strategy which is the the hardest to to learn and to overcome, right? So there's a there's a strategy that is the most difficult to kind of overcome or to um to, to win against, if that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because you know that's exactly what a lot of people do with games. They spend a lot of time on forums and theory crafting and uh, digging into games and trying to figure out what are those strategies that are they might become the meta that's that's the strategy to beat. And that's really interesting. That that's it sounds like that's pretty much exactly the same. And I'm curious. Your, your solution is a strategy. How do you evolve that strategy over time? Because like any person who plays PvP knows, there's going to be new developments. There's going to be an evolving environment that will necessitate the strategy to change. There's going to be a, a new meta that, that comes into play.
1: So that's absolutely correct. And, and that's where this all gets very interesting from a research perspective. And what it comes down to is, you know, I talked about Rock, Paper, Scissors, and that's a very simple game and it's very easy to wrap your head around. When we talk about security games, we're talking about games with trillions of actions, right? So rather than three Rock, Paper, Scissors, there are a trillion possibilities for what I could do and a trillion possibilities for what they could do, right? And so you're really trying to find this strategy within this very massive space uh, that is going to again make it as difficult as possible for them to to learn it and to beat it. And and as you just suggested, the the other aspect to this is that this game is evolving over time, right? So as politics change, as uh, motivations change, as, as different groups uh, come and go, right? Um, the, the the premise of the game changes, so the goals change, the motivations change, the targets change, and so kind of a two-part system on the on the front side there's an intelligence system and we're not typically involved in that but you know the security organizations usually have their intelligence teams The sole responsibility is to, to gather intelligence and figure out kind of what the real threats are and and what they need to be guarding against. and then what we do is we create systems that allow them to manipulate the rules of the game very easily according to that intelligence so as a new intelligence comes in they adjust these rules or these actions if you will that, that people can take so whether it's you know there's new technology that's come out or you know the motivations have changed whatever it may be it fundamentally alters the interaction between the two players and and after they've set that then we've created the system that's able to actually analyze this massive space of possibilities and and you know find the, the optimal strategy as you just suggested right so it'd be as if if you're playing a card game And, uh, you know, there are are kind of 40 different cards and people had created a deck that was the best. As you said, it's the meta, right? This is a deck that everyone's Mm -hmm. playing or some variation of this deck. And then suddenly the game creator said, now I'm going to introduce these 10 new cards that really just blow up that meta, right? And so now it's up to the players to think about a new meta deck using these 10 new cards that becomes the new standard, right? And so in our game, it's as if this deck is being rotated and shuffled you know, on a daily, weekly, yearly basis. And so mm-hmm. really, it's just that we've created a system that says this is the current set of cards that I have available. And based on that, this is the deck I should play. That's really cool.
0: Your current company is Avada Intelligence. Can mm-hmm. you talk about what led to you being one of the founders of of that and, and what your goal is and what you do there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Because of the research work we had been doing at the University of Southern California, as I had suggested, we had been working with a lot of large agencies on creating these, um, you know, security systems that uh, underneath utilize, um, game theory and gaming to come up with sound security strategies or, you know, uh, sound tactics to pursue, uh, in order to achieve an objective of, of maximizing their security. And, Since we were doing all that work, we thought, well, you know, this is great and research funding is great and, you know, we're doing some foundational work in this space. But if we created a company, we'd have larger access to, you know, other problems, um, problems within enterprises, um, problems outside of the government space, because most research funding comes from the government. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we we wanted to tackle there are so many security problems out there, cybersecurity problems, um, insider threat problems, you know. Financial fraud problems, and, and there are definitely just a lot of, of security applications out there. And so we thought that this would give us an opportunity to kind of more broadly explore how we could apply these same strategies or uh, these same principles of gaming to other areas of security that we had not historically had access to from research funding.
0: Do other people that you work with or other people in your field do they see do they see AI and the way you solve problems, do they see it like a video game too? Do they take inspiration from from games as well?
1: I mean, to some degree, you know, I think that everyone I work with uh, has uh, definitely an interest in, in video games as a pastime. I think that, you know, uh, studies have shown that you know, the video gaming industry has far surpassed every other form of entertainment today. And so I think that we all have, you know, some affinity for, for video games. But I think, you know, for them a lot of them see it more as like you know a game of chess or other uh, games of structure you know card games and things like this so i don't know that video games resonate quite as deeply uh with you know some of my colleagues but i think that we all understand that the core principle that within any game uh, there's some construct of rules and boundaries and, and possibilities and and it's actually creating we all see it as a process of creating this new game, right? So a game that's never been played before um, where we have to construct uh, the rules. We have to construct boundaries. We have to construct, you know, what the space is and who the players are and, and, you know, what the pieces are, if you will, within that game. And so creatively, I think that, you know, building these security applications is very similar to building any video game or any game in general. And I think that fundamentally we all understand that and kind of see it that way. Now, you know, I enjoy it just because, you know, it really resonates with the uh, idea I had as a, as a kid as, as, of building video games, right? I'm building these worlds that, that people get to experience and, and, and deal with. But in this case, it's just the world I'm building can have a significant impact and uh, helping prevent, you know, tremendous
0: loss. Hmm. You're telling me that you are actually working on a commercial project with the World Wildlife Fund. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, while I, my day-to-day involves working with my company uh, on our projects, uh, kind of in the background, I'm, I'm working with some colleagues, and uh, we have partnered with the World Wildlife Fund in an independent gaming studio, and we're working to release a, a major commercial title that will center around uh, the anti-poaching challenges the World Wildlife Fund faces. And so. Um, the premise of this game is that you will have, you know, a base of operations and you'll have different kinds of units. So you may have researchers, you may have military units, um, you may have medical units. And and your objective is kind of to explore this African savanna and try to find the wildlife, right? So you need to, that's why you need researchers on your team and, and trackers and, and other units. And, and you need to try to find where they are and, and protect them. But at the same time, you're also trying to find where these kind of poaching establishments are um, to kind of, you know, shut them down. And so the mm-hmm. game the game will loosely center on that reality of life. But as a commercial title, it will obviously be based in a, kind of a futuristic world, and you know there'll be technology and, and magic and other components that, that just aren't really existing in the real world. <laughs> but the central problem will be the same that you know we're really trying to pre- prevent the extinction of certain animals and and even just this year, we, we lost uh, another rhino species. Um, and many species are really kind of at risk today of becoming extinct really, really soon. And while the World Wildlife Fund has made significant progress in kind of saving some animals from the brink and, and bringing them back, uh, they still have a long road ahead of them. So, as, as part of this game, we're actually planning on donating a major portion of the proceeds to the World Wildlife Fund. And we're hoping to engage with them to have some additional downloadable content and features where people will get to kind of explore the, the real life world of uh, World Wildlife Fund and, and the real life world of the rangers and, and what they experience and, and the difficulties they face. And so it'll be a, a great marriage between kind of this fantasy world and this real world problem. And we're hoping that, you know, it'll help people understand, um, you know, what's happening in, in a very engaging and fun way, right? So so they can play this very mm-hmm. enjoyable game that we hope they'll love and, and will be a lot of fun. But at the same time, it will, you know, give them some access or, you know, at least help them touch uh, this space that they may not have explored otherwise.
0: All right. And this is a commercial game, but you've previously worked, I don't know whether it was research or or some other type project, actually developing a solution to this exact problem, right?
1: That's correct. So we have, this is how we kind of got engaged with the World Wildlife Fund originally. Um, and so we've worked on on creating the security side of the game, um, the actual, you know, security uh, using the same concepts and technology where we're looking at helping them define where to send their rangers to look for um, traps and to try to interdict poaching activity and so, you know, it's that same fundamental principle of, if I have these rangers who who can go out, who have these limitations on how far they can go, how, how long they can be away, like, you know, depending on the resources they can take. And and so there's, I mean, these guys cover hundreds and hundreds of square miles. And so there's very, very, uh, there's some pretty big limitations on just how much they can do. And so being really smart about where you send those resources and, and what areas you choose to explore and also, you know, um, kind of applying those AI technologies where we're using machine learning and other learning techniques to kind of track where the animals are and what their kind of migration patterns are and where the, the water resources are and, and other vegetation that may kind of attract them, and combining that with our kind of game theoretic principles to determine, you know, how best to use the resources
0: they have. Hmm. So that's really cool that that you had a project that has a real world impact and now players will get to kind of experience that and play that game themselves that's a real problem and based on real situations i know you said it was you know a little bit fantasized but still it's a very it's really interesting to me that you're kind of putting putting players into the shoes of a, a real life problem that you know that's ongoing
1: yeah, and we're really excited because we're just hoping it brings some, as you said, kind of more tangible awareness to what the problem is and, and really gives players a, an opportunity or space to explore, to safely explore, you know, what they face every day.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. One of my other interviews is with one of the developers of This War of Mine. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it, uh, it brought kind of a similar experience that it. It allowed people to play as people who were in a war zone, not the soldiers, not the fighters, but the people who were displaced and affected. And that game was very impactful because it gave it gave a different perspective on a, a different perspective on on war, which of course has been covered by hundreds of games before, but never in this perspective. But this project is the first that I can think of that, that marries a real world Attempt to solve the problem with with a game that simulates the problem, and that sounds really really interesting. I, I'm really interested to see how how that builds awareness and, and how that gets people to think about conservation and and about how problems get solved in the world and and things that we can do about it.
1: Yeah, and that's actually our hope. Uh, this is kind of a, a pilot project that we're hoping will extend into. Future projects or you know other areas where we really think that as you suggested, games have this capacity to bring people into different worlds and, and have different experiences so they can maybe gain a stronger understanding of, of you know the problems that other people face. And, and I really love that you brought up the, the game where we're looking at war zones and not the soldiers involved or you know the governments involved, but just the, the day-to-day people. I think that would be. An amazing game to explore and experience. And, and I'm hoping moving forward that more games start to take these chances and, and really start to leverage this, this capability to immerse people in worlds they have never known before, or maybe even never thought of before, and hopefully gain them some kind of understanding of, you know, just how difficult these problems are and, and how challenging it is for the people out there dealing with them.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, um, I think that's a great place to end the interview on. So where can people find out more about about you and your projects and about Avada Intelligence?
1: Yeah, I'll give you a a few different spaces um, because I kind of have my hands in in a a lot of different things. If you want to learn more about our company, Avada Intelligence, I would encourage you to go to avada.ai. That's A-V-A-T-A dot A-I. Um, And you can see what we're up to and and kind of the technologies we're pushing forward as an organization. If you want to learn more about security games, my advisor continues to really push that envelope forward and and is really working with a lot of amazing people. And you can go to teamcore.usc.edu to learn more about the work that Melinda Tombe is doing. Um, Dr. Melinda Tombe has pioneered this work. As I said, he brought me in and And he's really created an entire space of artificial intelligence dedicated to uh, AI for security, and in particular, gaming for security.
0: That sounds great. And I'll have links to all of those in the show notes so people can can connect there. Thank you so much, James, for coming on the show.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. This was wonderful. And uh, I look forward to seeing some of your other podcasts moving forward. Uh, Obviously, this is a really exciting space.
0: My favorite part about talking to James was that he really does talk about these problems he solves like he's talking about a game. And I find that oddly comforting because when someone gets involved in a game they enjoy, the passion and the determination they bring to the challenge is off the charts. And he's turning that towards efforts to keep us all safe. If you enjoyed what James had to say, be sure to check out his TEDx talk about his work. I'll link to that in the show notes. That's it for this week's Intelligence Boost. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast because there are five more episodes on games and social change to come, not to mention all the episodes after that. Join the discussion with myself and other listeners on the Plus 7 Intelligence Discord server at discord.gg slash plus 7. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in seven. Music for this episode provided by the ever-elusive and mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Tonight on NBC. Well, everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire... A revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us. New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC.